take your Bibles, if you will, and really I'm going to give you two texts here to begin with. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, familiar to most of you, but also Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, in a sermon I've titled, Do You Really Want Revival? And it's just uh, one I felt compelled to preach, to be quite frank with you. Changed the sermon two or three times this week, but uh, uh, we've got to go with what the Lord lays on our heart without apology for that. But I, I just got something here that I typed out that I just want to say to begin with. To stay away from a Bible-preaching church or Christianity in general because of the Bible's teachings finds much that is offensive to you. Essentially, you're saying if there is a God, he would, he, he would not have any views that upset me or make me feel uncomfortable. But you see, you don't create God, nor do you establish to him what his mind, his morals, his standards, and the way of life is to be. Friend, the thing to understand that really goes beyond my understanding is to say this, God is altogether holy. And each of us who know Christ is our Savior when we reach heaven's shore through the rapture, we'll realize we didn't really know the fullness of the holiness of God. But because He is holy, we have eternal life. Because He was willing to pay a price for us. So as we look to our text here in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, we read this, I can do all things, all things, okay, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You ever say to yourself, I can't do that, or I can't do this. You know, I, I know the Lord wants that, but no, I can't do that. Okay, well, then you've just called God a liar. He says you can through Him. But you've got to be willing to do it through Him. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, And by the way, I'm going to be giving you scriptures as we go throughout this message, and so I hope that you will write those down and go back and examine them later. But in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, we read this, And Jesus went into the temple of God. I like the way it calls it, the temple of God. And cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Verse 13, and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye 
have made it a den of thieves. God wants his house holy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I know that as you looked at your house back then, Christ was greatly offended. And how offended is he by the state of the local church today across this land? Lord, as the psalmist said, revive us again. Because we know that if it's not soon, judgment will come. So Lord, I pray, I pray that you'd help each of us as Christians, as your children, to grasp what you have to say here in this message today. If there's one in our midst who does not know if they died today, then heaven's their home. May they come to know him as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus Christ's name I pray it. Amen. Now you may wonder how those two passages I just read kind of fit together, but uh, they do if you understand that they are important in the cause for revival. It's of utmost importance that you understand the need for revival and your part in it. And that part will call for you to do it, but only through Christ. Through Christ. We see at least twice in Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, that at least twice he overturned the tables. He made a scourge of cords and drove those men out. I mean, he didn't take it easy on them. They were getting out of there. If it was that important to Jesus Christ that his house be holy, that he would make a scourge of cords and use it to drive men out. His house must be very important to him. I hope you can grasp that. How important the holiness of his house is to him. I want you to think of this passage. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16. Because you might think, well, the temple, yeah, that was the temple that was built. God and it's supposed to be holy, and that's what they did. And, and so the Lord did go in there and clean it up. Well, you know, they didn't clean up too well. And in A.D. 70, that temple was leveled. God, Christ said it would happen, and God allowed it to happen, and it did. In 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now understand, the local church was founded by Jesus Christ. That was his makings when he was here on earth. He gave that to the disciples and spoke of the local church. And what you need to understand is that that local church 
the founding of the local church is just as important as the temple of God in the Old Testament. Now, a lot of times we don't want to think of it, no, no, it couldn't be that important. But understand, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're behind the temple and they're behind the local church. And so, knowing that, Again, we look there, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of the living God. The living God. The pillar and the ground of the truth. Do you get it? God cleansed the temple. And he wants to cleanse his house. The local church. To be clean. To be holy. The local church is of utmost importance to our Savior, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be a pillar and a ground of the truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. And so as a pillar of the truth, a ground of the truth, all of Jesus Christ, the word of God must be preached and declared in his house and set the standard of what his house and what his people should be. That is the word of God. And he goes on to say in verse 16 there of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and great, uh, no, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, godlikeness. God was manifest in the flesh. There are people today who say, well, you really think Jesus was God in the flesh? The Bible says he is. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was God. And to think anything other than that is to be blasphemous and to spit in the face of God. And so he was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit. His human life was, was tested and tried. All points like as we are, and yet when it was over, justified. His human spirit was a justified way, justified in the spirit so that he was the only ever acceptable sacrifice for our sin. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's when he ascended there in Acts chapter 1, up into heaven before their faces. I want to kind of give you just kind of a little bit of a history of a biblical independent Baptist church across this nation. Uh, back when I was growing up. And the reason I'm doing that is because I, I believe and I fear, believe very strongly that my generation is responsible for corrupting it. We have dropped the ball. We must realize, we must know that we're accountable before God and allow God to use us 
to try to bring back the church to what he wanted it to be. At least to what it was in those years. And it will be hard. But I believe his word that nothing is impossible with God. If there can be a virgin birth, and there was, there is nothing impossible for God. He said that to Mary. He said that to Abraham. Is there anything too hard for God? Understand, nothing is too hard. Revival is possible. I believe his word and each of us must accept it if we truly believe his word. If we truly believe that I can do all things as a believer, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That is the things that he would have me to do, the things that he would lead me to do, the things in obedience to his word, whether it goes against the grain of society or not. To carry out the duty that God has for me. Every one of us that named the name of Christ, that claimed to be saved, must realize this is not dependent upon one person, this is dependent upon each of us to do our duty. It must be His way. But do you really want revival? And let me put it in hard terms. Hard terms. Do you care if your children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren are in hell as long as they're happy now? Well, I think most of you say, no, it goes against, well, then we've got to act like that we are also for what's right. What matters? Because see, too many people, they want their children to be happy. Well, there's nothing wrong with your children being happy. But better be more so that you want them to be happy because they're righteous. Because it's holy. Because they know the Lord. You know, I think about how things were back in the 1950s. I was born in 1949. I remember my dad's first church. I think he took it in about 55 or 56, somewhere around there. I remember hearing him preach there as a, as a kid. I remember him preaching in the 60s. But then there were others. There were the Lester Roloffs. There were the Jack Howells. There were the Lee Robertsons. And some of the things I'm going to say today are things they said without fear or favor. But somewhere along the line, those things have been taken away from the church. I want to look at a, just a few things here. You know, back in my, that day, we had black and white TV. Some of you guys remember that? You had the antenna outside. Somebody's always sent outside to try to adjust it when they changed the channel. You waited 30 seconds for the TV to come on, you know, and just things of that nature. But, but you had the black and white TV. And at first when TV started coming out, when they really started talking about the World's Fair in 1939, there were, there were men of science that detested it because they knew that it would affect the minds of people. 
church had started to preach against it somewhat, but more. What they were preaching about back then, they were against the movies. They preached against the movies. A good Christian doesn't go to the movies. You see, the fear was that the popularity of the actors would grow to a point as they were written out about in magazine articles and other places. It would grow. And they'd be so likable on the screen. And it would seem so neat and good and cool to the young people that they would uh, want to emulate them and make their lifestyles seem, well, that's normal, that's acceptable. It's okay to be that way. I think some of these uh, apps that you've heard, uh, Paul preached about it here a couple of times, the apps that you see on the cell phones and all that, well, a lot of that grew out of what came across movies, whether you realize that or not. But their lifestyles were portrayed on TV and uh, well, in the movies back then, and, and their sinful lifestyles were in person, printed out, and all of a sudden, all of these things began to work together to, to influence people. What the church was afraid of is it would influence teenagers and young adults and make the life of the corruption that they saw in the movies, in the personal lives, immorality, drinking, to be acceptable conduct among respectable society. And usually the ones that were hearing that preach and didn't like it said, those people are crazy. That will never happen in America. Then there were sensual type pictures hung in the various theaters. Young people would see them. Oh yes, the good people, those that were arresting the bad guys, those that were doing all the good, so-called good work, were in the bars drinking along. And then the social drink, the alcohol, even tobacco was acceptable. One thing after another. Another thing that they preached against was dancing. FBI Director Edgar J. Edgar Hoover would come out with a report about once a year, and I know that because I heard it preached on about once a year as far as J. Edgar Hoover's reports. I mean, he's the head of the FBI at the time. He said, the overwhelming majority of harlots got their start on the dance floor. They went on further to say that many teenage girls, high school dances and so forth, ended up shortly thereafter losing their virginity. You have people that have now today the, you know, the, the Christian dances. Christian ballet. And their kids are dressed in the tights and the things of that nature and, and, and perverts are going through the 
various websites, and they're seeing them like that, and they are lusting over their children, and they say, well, that couldn't be true in our, our sight. And you're denying reality. And what I'm saying is, is that preachers preach against these things, and that included independent Baptist churches, that included Southern Baptist churches. When I was in high school, I, there was a boy there, was, uh, his dad was a pastor, so we kind of got to know each other a little bit. His dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. We got talking about, did your dad preach against the movies? Oh yeah, mine does too. What about dance? Oh yeah. I mean, we had all these things that were the same. As a matter of fact, you had Methodist churches that preached against it. You had Presbyterian churches that preached against it. But then, the children were hearing other children that was being a part of these things, and so all of a sudden, it wasn't cool anymore to be a Christian. Although a Christian wasn't meant to be cool, it was meant to make them right and holy. But nonetheless, they didn't want to have a part of that, and the pressure was uh, put on pastors to quit preaching that way. Some lost their jobs over it. What does God say about it? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, you may want to write this down, but I'm going to give these references and read them. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Now listen to the next phrase. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Wow. Sons of God that are blameless and harmless in a nation that is not. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world, in a wicked, terrible world of this nature, they are to shine as lights. They is, they, we are to be a different group. Making a difference. Being different than what they are. You don't have to become like them to win them. All you do is win them to a religion, but not to Jesus Christ. Not the true Savior. Verse 16 says, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, nor labored in vain. In other words, the Apostle Paul, in this letter, the Holy Spirit breathed out every word to him, wanted the people to understand that as he preached against these things, as he preached and named sin, as he did these things, it was hard. But he was hoping that the labor was not in vain, that the people responded to the Spirit of God as he preached the Word of God, instead of the, what the world wanted him to have. We read that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Sin is never justified in God's sight. In Psalms 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. 
America's in trouble. America, by their own decision, kicked God out of the public school. That was America's decision. What's happened to this country? Has its morals improved? I mean, you think about it. I went to public school. We had Bible reading. We had prayer. From time to time, you would even have an evangelist come by and speak. In a public school. And the world says, that's damaging, that's terrible to do that to those kids. Okay, so make the kids so they like drugs. They're immoral, filled with venereal disease, and on the fast track to hell. Is that what we want? And yet, it's out there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, we have what God wants of the local church. Listen to this. This is what God wants of the local church. Whether I preach it or not is what God's going to call us into an account. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. That is, God gave that the Lord who founded the local church, the Lord who established the local church for this church age, the Lord, He is the one that gave these things for the local church. Why? Verse 12, for the perfection of the saints. In other words, to mature them in Christ, to be Christ-like. They were first called Christians at Thessalonica. Why? Because they were Christ-like. Christ-like. Like. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. See, you learn Bible, you're taught Bible, that you may understand better to work and serve the Lord through the local church, to give the word to others. That's what it is about. For the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the believers, one another. Why? Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. In other words, the faith is Bible doctrine, anything the Bible teaches, and a oneness in the Bible, the oneness in doctrine and what it teaches. That is the goal of God for a local church. the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that is a complete Christian, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. That's what God wants for every believer in a local church to come to that that stature, to the fullness of Christ, the measure is Christ and Christ-likeness. That Jesus Christ that that's speaking of is not this hip Jesus that is preached today, that is a worldly Jesus that is down on anything that is holy and righteous. That's not the Jesus of the Bible, and that Jesus of the Bible did not call holiness legalistic. 
That's only the world. That's only false prophets. That's only false religionists. Those are things that people, that the devil's got to hold them. Look, I've had young men here that have worked with me. Boy, they had standards. Today they're in contemporary works. What happened to them? The personal responsibility to walk with God. Wanting to be accepted. Wanting to build their name. We're not out to build our name. We're out to build the name of Jesus Christ. That is our work. That we, verse 14 says, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and carried about, to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I tell you what, there's a lot of these guys that see these young 20 and 30 uh, year old somethings, you know, working in a fundamental church and they'll go after them and deceive them. And they're caught in by the cunning craftiness of those things. That's why the Word of God must be taught in God's house on a continual basis. What is the result in America? The result is simply in this really short sentence. The church has lost its influence. You have sodomite marriages as if that's supposed to be natural and it's wrong, it's filthy, it's sin. You have homosexuality out of the closet. I was told of one of our local high schools, and I'm not going to say which one it is because I don't know it's a fact. I just know the kids are saying that that one particular local high school is considered the homosexual capital of the high schools of Marion County. Now that may be true, that may not be true. But what a reputation to have. <laughs> Couples are now moving in and living together without marriage. That's as filthy as homosexuality, whether you agree with it or not. God says it, I believe him. That is filth. That's adultery. That's sin. My friend, in God's sight, it must be dealt with. Parents are allowing teens now to tell them where to go to church, how to worship. Oh, well, you know, my kids won't go because their friends go there. And, you know, they're, they're good Christian kids and all that. And they're going there, they're going to rock and roll, they've lost their standards. Look, I've been here at this church for over 35 years. I came in 84 as the assistant and took over in 86 as the pastor. And what I'm saying is, is that I've seen a lot of them that have said, well, they're going there because they, they like the church, they like these Christians, they're Christians, and they, they witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And over the overwhelming majority, the ones I do know about, their lives are wrecked. Every kind of evil and sin that you can think of is there. But the parents gave in and they went to another church. I had one man, and I won't say his name, but he apologized to me on his deathbed about doing that. 
you know, abortion. Most are saying that, well, I'm against abortion. Yeah, you should be. It's cold-blooded murder. That's exactly what it is. Those people are going to stand before God as all murderers will. Yet, abortion being murder, look, I've had those I know about because I was brought in on it. Daughter got pregnant. They were against abortion, but they had that baby aborted because they didn't want that baby to be associated, that daughter to be associated with the man that got her pregnant. That is filthy, rotten, low-down, lying on a person to say that they're against abortion. And then they would kill a baby to protect their reputation, whatever that is. Churches began to use the music of the world. It began to sound like a nightclub, a rock concert. Standards were going out the window. And the children told their parents again, uh, that's not where we don't want to go to that old church where they still preach the word and they still have that kind of music. Oh, we don't like that. My friend, our biggest problem, and having said all of that, I've said, and those things are sin, by the way. But having said all of that, I think one of the biggest problems is that we have too many panty-waisted preachers that dropped preaching against these things. They've stopped, and then they are not preaching the word anymore. They're not thundering against it anymore. You don't hear them thunder against alcohol. You don't hear them thunder against these things any longer. The sexual sins that have go on. Look, churches don't need to have homosexual classes so that they can learn how to live a Christian life and still be a homosexual. They're doing that today. That is filthily, filthy wrong. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators. That's sexual sin of any kind at all. Fornicator. Matter of fact, the Greek word pornea, from which you get pornography, is translated fornicators. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those who cheat in their marriage, nor effeminate, there's your homosexual, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, there's your sexual abusers and sexual perverts of all kinds nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, that's the social drinking party and crowd, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the blessing. And such were some of you. Do you realize when he says such were some of you? They didn't establish that church there in Corinth for them to feel good about those sins. They didn't do it for that reason. Instead, they trusted God. They turned to God with their whole heart. And he changed them. That's why he says, 
in the next part of that verse, but ye are washed. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ, you're cleansed from that sin. But ye are sanctified, set apart. God wants to even use those people to serve him. Some people say, oh, if that guy's a homosexual, he can't be used of God. Or if that woman was uh, a harlot, she can't be used of God. Well, then you are saying that God made a mistake on Rahab the harlot. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because his blood, he stands in our place. I am accepted in the beloved. So I am justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit was given to me the moment I received Christ, and that is to anyone who receives Christ. They were changed, and my friend, as a Christian... We've got to believe that God can still do it. God can still do it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. God can still do it through you. Don't dismiss 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. Don't get too excited. I'm getting close to done now. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Well, that's a simple answer. The end of them is that they're going to be in that eternal lake of fire. They're going to burn forever and ever. Never cease to exist. Never escape. That's why they need a Savior and they need Christians to have a care in their heart that will seek to bring them out of that life to Jesus Christ. You think the world wants that? No. That's why in California and several other states, they have laws against counselors that are counseling people out of homosexuality. In this country, where churches at one time had those standards against those things. America needs reseated with local churches that stand for the truth. He says in verse 18, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as a faithful creator. That's where Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ with strength in me, even if it calls for me to suffer for the name of Christ. You're here today in this local church because there are men down through the ages that gave their lives for the cause of Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you must decide if the culture Hollywood peer pressure will be followed in your life and form your standards and way of life. Accepting what the world says of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, anything can go, anything's all right, we've got grace and liberty. That filthy, rotten sin that has been proclaimed by so many
So you've got to decide that's going to be what directs you or is it going to be His Word? Whichever you choose has an effect on your eternity if you're saved. You're either saved so as by fire and ashamed at His appearing or you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you decided I'm going to do what Christ wants. I want revival. What will the call be? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Because it's going to be up to you to be that instrument for revival to each of us. It says, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Remember Jesus cleansed the temple? Here he says, for ye are the temple of the living God. See, a lot of those things that some people are probably laughing about and going to go home and talk about. <laughs> Did you hear him say that about the movies? Did you hear him say that about people's lifestyle? What's wrong with that preacher? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that preacher. He decided to believe God instead of the culture. The Lord wanted the temple cleaned out, not added to and made a space for the world to continue in its sin and filth. You're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. If you receive Christ as Savior, you've got him living in your life. And you want to do those things the world does, you want that to be a part of your life, you're spitting at the holiness of God every time you do. That's hard that's a hard statement, but that's a true statement. I'm trying to save you from being ashamed at his appearing if you're saved. He says, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, I've said it hard. What I've said today seem hard, might seem hard. Do you realize that that was normal preaching back in the 50s? I've read some sermons from the 40s and 30s that made the 50s look liberal. But as the church went down and got away from those things, we see what's going on in this country. Now, God could restart a revival here at Central Baptist Church and could affect this community, this state, this land. But on the other hand, it only may affect your life. You've got to decide, do I believe Jesus and am I going to live for him or am I going to finish well or am I not? One of the mottos that we have here, speaking the truth in love, and that's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to save you from the eternal embarrassment at the judgment seat of Christ if you're saved. Can get upset with it? Look, I still love you anyway. I just want you to see, I just want you to finish well. But, 
I don't apologize for preaching his word. And never have and never will. But, I should say that by God's grace, I never will. But I know I can, by God's grace, say that. As long as we keep it through Christ. You can say it too. Now, you can't say any of that. You can just sit back there and laugh. If you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, you can laugh at those silly Christians. That's silly preacher. That's fine, but you're not going to laugh in hell. And yet, God wants to save you right now. He wants to save you right now. If you'll come to Him in repentance and say, Lord, I have sinned. Now, you may not be a homosexual. You may not have done some of these things, but you've sinned. You know you're a sinner. You know you need a Savior. Jesus Christ, that only Savior, and He will save you if you come to Him. That's why He died on the cross. Look, when He was shedding blood on that cross and the Father was pouring out His eternal wrath on the human spirit of Jesus Christ, He was doing that with your sin on Him, but He did that lovingly for you and for me. But if you reject that, Offer of salvation. Stand before God says, well, I didn't like the way those Christians were or whatever. Won't work. He's left you with a witness. He's given you an opportunity today to be saved. Won't you come to him? Let's bow our heads, please.